2: Welcome back. I'm so glad to be back with you guys. I've missed you guys. I hope that you have listened to Faith's great conversations with Christy Adams and Dorina Williamson while I enjoyed the Mexican Sun. But I'm so happy to be back. And I'm so happy today for our guest is Dr. Lucretia Berry, the CEO and founder of Brownicity. And she's gonna be with us and she's gonna talk about her new activity book for children called Hughes of You. And we're gonna talk a little bit about the development of positive racial identity in kids. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Barry.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: (laughs) Here's what we want to really get into. We want to know the beginning, the origin story, okay, of brownicity. So why did you and your husband create it? Because if we understand correctly, y'all like co-created this together, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Do you have enough time for origin story? (laughs) <laughs> I just think really quick. I just, I'll just do the abridged no, version. Like, we like the, yeah, give us the. Give us the tea, the whole the whole story. Oh my gosh. Okay, but I will have to do, yeah, just abbreviated points. Because it us is your a whole, whole story. footnote
1: Story. Yeah.
0: It's a whole footnote. So essentially my husband and I met integrating a historically black church. So this was in graduate school in college and I was attending a black church, a black ministry. And then um then the pastor said, Okay, we we are going to become interracially one. Now this was a long time ago. It wasn't a trend. This is Back in the 90s. So then here comes my husband and white friends. And yet with just a whole, I, I call it like a divinely provoked healing, inner healing had to occur for this to happen. And so in that work, it's like we have our roots in in a consciousness, and understanding and action. Right. So we are far beyond like superficial conversations and colorblindness like that just nope way way beyond that so my then my husband and I we stayed in contact with each other and then ended up getting married and that's a whole other story in and of itself I hope to be able to write the book soon <laughs> so uh because that required a lot of work in me so mm-hmm. then before we had children we were not trying to pretend that our children and even our family wasn't going to be challenged by our, our hyper-racialized society. So we are this, you know, biracial or multiracial family, multiracial couple with multi-ethnic children. And so we knew that our children would need tools different than what my husband and I had to navigate. So as a child, I grew up in the segregated South. My parents grew up doing Jim Crow. So my toolkit looked different from, you know, navigating race. My husband grew up in small town Iowa. He knew no people of color growing up. So he had a different toolkit. So then we were very aware, like, okay, well, our children Cannot, you know, benefit from the tools we had, except Mm -hmm. for we have to create tools and be willing to do that. And we weren't going to do the anecdotal cutesy things like, well... Daddy is vanilla ice cream and mommy is chocolate ice cream and you are (laughs) chocolate vanilla squirrel. And that's cute now, but it's really too superficial for a child to um, to to understand um, the identity that will be imposed on them by the construct of race. And, you know, so we needed to have these conversations so they understood, okay here's here's my divine design, this is who I am. But they, and they also needed to understand, and this is the the, the identity that society will impose on me. So I say all that to say, and, and yes, and then we needed to do it in a way that was inclusive, a way that they, be, they could belong wherever they are. So it really was just spurred on by our children and then and then you know my daughter she was our oldest was 4 at the time and she is actually the one who came up with this framework and said hey you know we're all hues of brown and daddy is light brown and mommy Aww. is deep brown and i am so medium cool. brown and if she was spot on Cause, and then we could t- tell her, like, yes, and, and we taught her about melanin and, you know, your ancestors' geographic origins, you know, and, and that has something to do with your skin and sun. Mm-hmm. So we were able to have these very kind of sophisticated conversations, but very age-appropriate And then once we had that foundation, we could then talk about race as this thing that isn't biological, but that is, you know, constructed and, and why, and, and, and all the things that have happened because of this construct of race. Now we're having these conversations very early with our children, other families noticed Mm -hmm. and other families would say, how come when we talk to you too about race, it feels so life-giving And I mean, I couldn't answer that question back then. I can now, you know, and I think it has a lot to do with our roots, our origin, our origin story and -hmm. and the healing that it occurred um, and, you know, personally and then interpersonally um, as a result of the work we did in that church really gave us this foundation um, or I will say like a wellspring of healing and hope. So that's what we we speak and teach from. And so way back then, you know, people will say, well, you should do a blog or you should do a something. And I back then was like, I don't know what a blog is. I don't know what a platform is. And I don't know why (laughs) anybody would want to have these conversations. Like what? Like this is, you know, just for our family. Oh, okay. And now our friends, because then our friends wanted this education as well, or this understanding. And then about um, 2014, then really, um, I can say Holy Spirit, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. yes, uh, Was really started to talk to me and download about, okay, so yes, let's do this thing publicly and let's serve the community with this. And I still was like, what? Okay. So then we soon just started with, um, it really just started with really moms gathering of all racial groups. And, and some families were multi-ethnic. Some families were, some families were monoracial, like white moms with all white kids and, you know, white moms with Brown kids and, you know, moms of color with it. And they, you know, people wanted, they had lots of questions. And so I just started hosting these gatherings. And my husband kind of poked fun at me a little bit because he goes, who hosts a gathering and has a whole like teaching segment and a PowerPoint for the?" (laughs) And I'm like, me? Because Because of my background, I see education as an invitation to elevation, right? Yeah. To a higher understanding. Yeah. And it's, it, for me, it was key in my story and in my process of healing. Like, education was fundamental. So I lead with that. And and people, you know, we have a schema for education. So, okay, we're going to come to Lucretia's house and we're going to do this fun thing and we're going to learn and have, leave with some language and some words and some understanding. And I mean, it was incredible. And so, Then in 2015, when the Charleston massacre happened, then my church community said, okay, could you please like officially teach us or like have something, like put something in a container and give it to us um, versus just, you know, the, the conversation. So that's, the origin story.
2: <laughs> I love it. That's great. That's great. And I think also too, like given your background, I mean, like you have a PhD in curriculum instruction right. and design, but like I couldn't That's have right. you on the <laughs> podcast without asking you kind of what you think about sort of the current debate in our schools around, um, I'll, you, can't, you guys can't see me because you're listening, but quote unquote, critical race theory <laughs> in schools and then, you know, teaching kids about racism or race and mm-hmm. diversity in schools. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then because of your background, if you could maybe talk about some ways that teachers can gauge their students in developmentally appropriate ways.
0: Right. And, you know, I read that question and I'm like, oh, my gosh, how much time do we have? I feel like we could talk about this for a whole <laughs> podcast season but here is my story like I said education was essential to my healing and to my understanding and to my growth and so I was fortunate like again totally God designed where I started my doctoral program with a focus on anti-racism education I had never even heard of anti-racism education that just the the professor invited me to this series and a part of it was spending half a semester in post-apartheid South Africa right after apartheid had ended. So this is me, my introduction to anti-racism education, critical race theory. Yes, uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, Derrick Bell. And in the context of a university... It all, you know, it makes sense. It supported. You know, if you have all however many years of education and learning and critical thinking and being creative and processing, um, you have all those years behind you, then yes, like you can totally handle critical race theory. I mean, you can handle theory, right? <laughs> you can handle critical thinking and you definitely, you know, can understand and learn about how race has functioned in our society. And I say all that to say Number one, yes, that's not happening in K-12 schools. Like, that's not even, not you know, that's not happening. And then, <laughs> uh, number one. Number two, actually, or maybe 1.2, it will be, I wish it was, honestly. Because our children, I'll say this, I teach a course, I teach a high school elective called Anti-Racism 101. And my students I mean they are are in awe of all that they don't know because of course people sign up for the course thinking they're going to be affirmed in their understanding and then they take the course and go oh my goodness I knew nothing and they leave the course saying i and these are white students and they leave the course saying i am feel so confident so they can confidently contribute right to change in society and so i think about how people are are out here being so um anti-critical race theory which is not being taught but they don't want the students to learn about race um, as a construct they don't want to learn the full history and you are depriving children. You are depriving them of their right to know and understand, so they can, you know, fully be who uh, they are designed to be. I know people like to talk about their rights and how we have freedom and we have free will, but if you don't know the full story, you don't have free will. You're just
2: yeah. <laughs> functioning
0: in the, you know, the little bit you know. And so, my goal in my course. Is to, you know, help them connect the dots and to help them fill in the gaps so they can make choices. You know, if they only know a small portion, they they don't have like this freedom of this freedom of choice. They just have this is what you are given, you know, and and it's unfortunate how people who and I and again, this is why people need to, to understand race. As a construct and understand how it has worked in our country and in society, because what we're seeing right now with the anti-critical race theory is, you know, it's just a piece in the pattern. Like we've seen it over and over whenever there is a group, a group or a movement for justice as laid out in the Bible, like that kind of justice then you have you get a people people who are afraid to let go of power or share power people who are caught up in hoarding power and hoarding resources well yeah they push back and so even you know in the antebellum south you had the the enslavers or the plantocracy considered abolitionists to be heretics to <laughs> crazy they're like you're being heretic because you're saying you're trying to take away my god-given right to own people right and then of course we see the civil rights movement construct reconstruction and the civil rights movement and people were saying well they're communist you know so there's always this pushback against you know love like justice equals love like there's this pushback so this whole anti-critical theory is more of the same thing yeah and that was also, so good. I don't know if I answered your question,
2: but <laughs> it did. I mean, I just it did went get... off on a tangent. Was no, good. it was so good, and I think the, <laughs> just connecting it to like the history, and I think also too. Yeah. I mean, my background, like having gone to law school. And it's like where I was introduced to critical yes. race theory. It's like, yes. what if you ask people, like, when you say this, what do you mean? The, first of all, their definition doesn't line up with Dr. what no, no. Kimberly Crenshaw, yes. Derek Bell would say. But then also, right. too, as a lawyer, I mean, the basic thing was what they created this theory because they looked at Brown versus Board, all of this history of like sort right. of anti-racist Supreme Court decisions. And then looked around and like black people are still struggling something did not work. Something with the laws right. did not work. What do we need to do differently? And that like exactly. is the genesis of it is it like, how are we determining what is actually Teach. moving us away from the effects of racism and segregation and subjugation and that kind of thing. But I loved the way mm-hmm. in which you tied it all together. <laughs> and yeah, of course you're an expert. So that was great. <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, I was like, I'm asking her when I saw that you had a PhD in like education and curriculum, I was like, I'm asking her this question. She will know.
1: Thank you. I mean Thank you. It, it. Thank
2: you for asking.
1: Your answer is incredible. So like, yeah, I'm I'm definitely I was listening like, Yes, yes. This is great.
0: And and then I had somebody ask me the other day, it like they framed it, I totally understood their premise by the way they asked the question and they were saying, So, like these words like unconscious bias and white privilege, or, and they name some other words. Are these just words that the, you know, liberal progressive lefts are using to shame white people? <laughs> and I kind of, you know, I chuckle because I'm like, actually, the context in which those words, those terms and words were introduced. So you have, so which it's either going to be academic Or it's um, like psychological psychotherapy. Like those words make perfectly good sense. I said, what happens again is people who fear they're going to lose power they know that strategy of stirring fear again we see it all throughout history we're going to create a narrative we're going to stir fear and then we're going to offer up ourselves as the saviors so if we could if they could stop stealing the words like co-opting and hijacking <laughs> right the words yeah, exactly <laughs> and to get people to understand like that that's what's happening y'all and again this is why we need to learn the history of race as a construct in this country because it's a pattern and my high school students like but midway through the year, the school year, they know they they all oh, here we go again. Like they're gonna create a story to make, you know, brown people the boogeyman and then they're gonna offer them up themselves up as saviors. Or, you know, I could we could talk about something currently and I'll say, Where have we seen this in history? And then they are Boom, boom, yep. they are naming it. I'm, you
1: know, and I'm like, yes, they got it. <laughs> yes, they got it. <laughs> I mean, there's so much power in students, right? And and yes. I just think that people know that. And so they want to stifle the power that That's young right. people have. That's right. So I'm wondering from you, like, just with your your work and your research, like, what's the earliest age that you have seen that children begin noticing differences in skin color? And then why is it important to speak with kids about our differences at a young age?
0: Okay, so I am so grateful for all of the research that is available to us now that le- that helps us understand that babies as young as three to six months old notice differences. And that makes sense. Of course they notice differences. I mean, I, I use the example of my children. There was no way they looked at their mom and dad and thought that we looked alike. You know, they... <laughs> and then about three years old, they're starting to sort and categorize again it's like, we're fine with it as long as they're sorting and categorizing red and blue. And, and you know, and that's, it's intelligence. It's intelligence forming in them. But they are also doing it with people as well. I've, you know, when I married into my husband's family, they uh, had, so his parents are white. Uh, most of his siblings are white and he has two African-American siblings as well. And so I was like really observing the kids Sorting, You know, like, oh, we have this many brown people in our family, you know, so this whole thing that wow. was happening, which, yes, they notice. And so but what happens is in our, again, hyper racialized society where we have this construct and we've placed the meaning on what we look like. Children are observing that as well. And then if we are not having if we are not, first of all, providing a space to have a conversation, then they're just left alone to kind of make some assumptions on their own. So, you know, we're always, if we don't understand something, our brain will make up a story, right? Regardless of how old we are, right? So as kids, that's what's happening. And so by five, they're seeing like skin tone and how we look. Our phenotype is a major point of distinction and difference. And then by seven, they're actually reflecting, uh, like social status bias or what we see in society. So that's why, you know, I get the most like maybe phone calls or like, can you please help? I get that around, you know, first grade because that's when kids are, you know, like when when the white kids, you know, if they haven't been having healthy conversations and understanding how differences are normal in our whole common humanity, right. They think they are just, you know, reproducing, Uh, what they have seen in their own society. So, oh, I'm better than, uh, my skin is white or light, so I'm better than you. Or I have agency over you because I'm white. Or, you know, we'll have um, sometimes kids of color who have internalized negative messaging, and then they are, you know, acting that out in classrooms or in school. So it's so important that we give them words um, and we give them a framework for understanding like I said, our, our, our differences in the context of a common humanity. And by the time they're, you know, first, well, I, we did it in kindergarten, but by the time they're first or second grade, they have to have a, an age appropriate kind of working definition or understanding of racial ca- categories and how race has worked to assign meaning to people in our society. Yeah, I'll stop there.
2: Yeah, that was really good. So I guess related to that, what you just stated, um, what you just shared, what would you say to parents who feel ill-equipped to talk to the kids about race or racial differences? Um, yeah, when you know yeah. kids start making comments and like parents yeah. are embarrassed and then they don't know what to do, how would you? How would you like encourage them?
0: Well, so to the parents, I would say, show yourself some grace because we inherited the colorblind approach. Right. So, you know, post the 1950s, the Post Civil Rights Act, um, you know, the response was, okay. let's be colorblind. Right. Um, And that makes sense because they were watching all kinds of atrocities (laughs) unfold on the TV and experiencing, of course, not just watching it. So um, get it. But. You know, it's a flawed approach because it means that then we can't name something right. We can't name it. We can't address it. We can't talk about it. And we so we can't even talk about it positively. And so I would say to parents, so first, give yourself some grace and also take on like position yourself as a learner as well. So. So, for example, your kids are going to say the embarrassing things out in public So the best thing to do is to get in front of that and give them positive things. So one example I'll pull from page from my story is like our children are just have always been so comfortable with it. So, yeah, they'd be out at McDonald's and say, Mommy, she has more melanin than you. And I'm like, yes, (laughs) isn't she beautiful? But you see how but saying that isn't, you know, negative or scary or normal. You want to be normalizing differences, you know, in your home and given language. And like I said, a positive, healthy framework. So, yeah, your children are going to point out observations when they're in public. But you want it to be positive or at least neutral and not, you know, hurting the the object of their observation. Yeah, because
1: I
2: think also, too, to your point, you're teaching them. To be good neighbors, to reflect
0: the love of Christ right. for all right. creation. And mm-hmm. I think even... And to, and to honor. And- honor it. So uh, acknowledge it and and honor it. Because it's one thing to call it out. But then if you have this, oh, well, I'm honoring it and I'm celebrating it. That's different than just pointing it out. Yeah. Because what's happening with children is difference is seen as bad. You see, or difference is seen as not worthy as me kind of thing. So right, that's why we have right. to get in front of that and normalize difference. And difference is thank goodness we have people look different or different. Um yeah. and helping them again like have this understanding that um, yes, nothing wrong with difference. Difference isn't
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that because it's really easy to teach like children how to like alienate in other people. And so when you teach children about that the fact that we're all different and we all have differences like it really helps to kind of, you know, eliminate some of those, you know, mindsets and things that come up from just othering people, okay. which is really easy to do right, right in our society. Oh, sure. So Um, I have a question. I don't have kids yet. I am a newlywed. I do want to have children, but I don't have them yet. So <laughs> while there's kids in my life, my niece and nephew, I love them so much. Catherine and I both are around kids all the time with our friends, god kids, everything. So we were wondering, though, if you could talk about the community role that we have in these conversations. How can we support the kids in our community when it comes to con- conversations about race and ethnicity.
0: Right. Well, I mean, you we know the African proverb it takes a village. So, you are uh, a part of the village, thank goodness. And so what You know, what we what what you get to do, actually, you have so much more liberty. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, to create to create spaces. So um, and so, again, like, for example, if children aren't having these conversations at home, then you can um, create spaces. What you know, wherever you in the work you do for children to have these conversations, you can also, of course, model because a lot of times, you know, our kids aren't listening to parents. They will model and mimic the parent, (laughs) but they're gonna listen to the aunties, you know? (laughs) That's who they're right. That's who they're they're listening to. So I I sincerely appreciate the the support outside of my home that that my children are getting.
2: Yeah, that's really good. I just I think also too just like as a single person like Feeling like, oh, this, you know, I don't have kids, so this conversation doesn't apply to me. And so always being Mm -hmm. like, you know, especially as like believers, like, no, you have a role in the community and neighbor as a neighbor. (laughs) And like, to your point, some of my most influential mentors were people outside of my home. Cause especially, you know, everybody knows they go through those teenage years where you, your parents suddenly become dumb. And so, you know, to be an adult that is going to reinforce you know, yeah. those those lessons, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. also be listened to and looked at as, like, cool and fun. So that's good. That's right. Yeah, that's- uh, like a related question, I think, is I have, like, a lot of girlfriends that have gone through this with their daughters, particularly in the post-Frozen era of wanting hair like Elsa or just feeling, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, kids, especially children of color, Black children, Mm-mm. Black girls, having absorbed negative messages or that they're somehow inferior because of Mm -hmm. how they look, the Mm -hmm. texture of their hair, their nose, Mm -hmm. maybe the shape of their body. And I wonder Mm -hmm. if you could speak to a little bit about, like, some of the intentional work you've done with your daughters in developing sort of Mm -hmm. positive racial identity to see themselves as beautiful, even when maybe that's not reflected back in the
0: culture. Right. So, you know, as a parent... and, And, you know, and my husband is... I mean, he really is like, make sure like he drives this, right. Sometimes I, you know, I'm just so busy. I'm just so accustomed sometimes to being, you know, a, like maybe the only Brown face in the space. Sometimes I'm just so, I'm just, and, um, (laughs) but he is very intentional about, you know, making sure our girls are in spaces where Brown people, Black and Brown people are leading, And who, you know, have different look now, you know, so it kind of depends on where we live. When we lived in Iowa, yeah, we'd have to create these spaces. Um, When we lived in North, well, Iowa around his family, I'm sorry. When we lived in North Carolina or Winston-Salem around my family, then yeah, they were (laughs) (laughs) around black people all the time. But now we live in um, the Charlotte area in North Carolina and we happen to live where um, it is predominantly white. So we we go out of our way to. Put them in communities where uh, lead, leader that are led by um, black women um, and black men um, in terms of their media at home, like any. Any person, any book, character, TV show where, you know, the, the, the skin is um, a deeper melanin and the hair is curly, like we're putting in their faces or even I just, you know, they notice me commenting on it. And then first of all, so first and foremost, me, like there's me and here's my hair. And, you know, I this is a cute little story. Our um, third daughter has, she has barely a curl is what we say. Like, girl, what happened to your curls? <laughs> what what happened to your curls? And she said, I wasn't born with any, you know. So, <laughs> but she goes, but she would, I would catch her in the mirror trying to make her hair go up like mine. Like, she's, mommy, your hair go up, my hair go down, you know, she said. So she's trying to make her hair go up. And <laughs> so, so yeah, anytime, like we're intentional about representation, what they see, putting things before them when, uh, you know, always commenting on our skin tones. Like we made that so common in our home where we sing songs about our five different hues of Brown. And we have, we, none of us have the same texture texture hair. So, you know, we, again, name it, call it out, make a big deal about it. Then, you know, they go to school and then you get the, with my oldest daughter, Oh, you should straighten your hair. So now I have to give her language to, Respond back to that, you know, and so intentionally give her language like, um, well, if I straighten my hair, who's going to have these beautiful bouncy curls? Yeah. Like, you know, who's going to be that person? Or, you know, I said, you can ask them. Maybe they should curl their hair or something. (laughs) So helping her, you know. just Yeah. (laughs) And and then even when, okay, can can I straighten my hair? And I don't think anything is wrong with that. But I'm but I'm like, no, uh, because like you want to straighten your hair because of, you know, what you what you're exposed to. So I said, you know, I said, as soon as you are able to take care of your own hair, if you want to straighten it, you can. Nobody has, like, they are all, when we do our gratitude things in the morning and we say what we're grateful for about ourselves, which is a powerful practice, you have to say what you're grateful for about yourself. Each one of them has talked about, like, I like my curly hair. I like the the hue of my skin. I love my round nose. I love my lips. And then I want to cry But, you know, I'm driving to school, so I have to keep it together. (laughs) So intentionally naming, intentionally celebrating um, is what we have done in our home.
1: Honestly, that is just just—it's so so sweet. (laughs) I was just thinking about that. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I love that. Like, you're you're you do like affirmations and like what you're grateful for about yourself every day, which is such a good practice and like a great practice for kids, you know, to have to affirm themselves because life gets hard, you know, and they're gonna remember that when they're grown up and they're in college and living their life and they're gonna have to remember to affirm themselves and they'll have that practice within them, which is great. So the last question, but the most important question Okay. Is why did you create Hughes of You? Because this is her new book project, y'all, that is coming coming out really, (laughs) really soon. So we want people to know why you created it. And of course, you can get it wherever books are sold. Um, But we're really excited about it.
0: Thank you so much. Well, I'm excited about Hughes of You. And it came about because here I am being invited into groups, so classrooms and you know, ministry groups and uh, conferences and libraries to have this conversation about how important it is for us to talk to our kids and and to give our kids the language and permission and a framework, you know, um, to actually just talk about what they're observing. And so I would do, first, let me back up. So initially, um, and people don't know this, but I started doing a a particular workshop with adults. So I originally started this work with adults because as an educator, I knew how adults were coming to the table, so to speak, or the class or the room, you know, I knew the baggage that they carried around race. Even just the word race is a bad word for people. Like I can feel the coldness in the room sometimes. And so if I could, I saw, I knew that if I could get the adults to just be comfortable in their skin and talking about their skin, right. It provided access to then move forward on a learning journey to talk about race as a construct. And so what happened is, you know, I would get adults to start talking about naming their skin tone, drawing their portrait. We're like giggling, having a good time. The next thing you know, people are relaxed. Relaxed, And then, you know, you could see the brain working like, wait a minute. So we are not these races of people. We're just like, you know. You know, we're one humanity and we, you know, we have these, we're all hues of brown. And you can see this, The them start to question. So when, what is race? And so when the adults start asking questions, you know, I'm like, exactly. Aha, now you're ready to learn. So that's how it started with getting adults to be comfortable. I call it the, I didn't, I couldn't come through the front door or the back door because when it comes to race, people have too many walls. So I had to, you know, cut a hole in the <laughs> ceiling and lower <laughs> And lower down <laughs> through the ceiling, right? Lower something. Right. Right. Drop <laughs> down through the ceiling and then start the healing that way. And then adults would say, Okay, can you do this with children? Yeah, children are easy because they don't have walls. And so I go into these spaces mm-hmm. and begin to give the children understanding and language. And it was like the floodgates open. They would have a million questions. You know, they they were like, I've had I've always had these questions, but nobody was talking about it. And I mean, these kids were like they would be ready like they I have some amazing stories. <laughs> so but, you know, I only would have like 30 minutes or 45 minutes. <laughs> and then I got to pack yeah. up and leave. And then the adults would say, well, I don't. I don't know how to answer these questions or they'd say, I, I don't know how to take this further. And so I thought, Oh, okay. Yeah. I just wrote it down and I wrote down the stuff that the kids wanted to talk about. I wrote down what the adults needed to know. And then I put it in an activity book.
1: Oh my goodness. <laughs> so
0: I just, I don't, so, yeah, I'm just so excited. I don't want people to be afraid to learn. Fear is such a barrier. So I'm like, if mm-hmm. I can give you a tool to, you know, and if I can just lower this down through, cut a hole in the ceiling and come in that way, you know, it's like I bypass the fear barriers. And then before, you know, people yeah. are all in and asking questions and ready to learn. So it's like an anti-fear tool.
1: <laughs> oh, that's so great. I
0: love it. I love it. I, I and that's
1: love
2: it. really powerful. Fear is a um, barrier to learning. And I think you said something earlier about... Um, Asking questions and sort of the humility of asking questions being sort of the gate that opens. So like that, having a posture of it is, is really important. There it is.
1: Oh my Uh goodness. This has been an incredible interview and (laughs) we're just so grateful for your time. But before you go, we have to do our favorite segment. It's our favorite segment and yours. Go off, sis. So this is a segment where we talk about something that we mm-hmm. love and then also something that's a mess. So we call it like our blessed and our mess. Catherine, why don't you get us kicked off? Lucretia, you're going to go in the middle and I'm going to go last. Oh, okay. So, you no, yeah. you have some time to think about it. Oh, okay. I love it. <laughs> Good. All right, Catherine. Okay.
2: So I have one silly mess and one more serious one. So I'm going to do my silly one first. Okay, the Tinder Swindler on Netflix, (laughs) y'all. I just was watching and I just became increasingly alarmed for these women and how they were raised because I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, a man, you're supposed to be a billionaire's son and you're talking about my enemies are after me. Call your dad. Like, (laughs) why do I have to sell my car? Yeah, that was a mess. And then I read that he has an agent and he's going to tell his side of the story. And I'm like, Lord how long will evil people prosper? Um, A mess. Tender Lair, very interesting documentary, but it's a mess. My serious mess is this whole Kim and Kanye situation. Um,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Kanye West is harassing his wife. And uh, honestly, it's not funny, it's alarming. And I would say one of my bigger concerns is like, there were so many Christians when he was like, I'm a Christian and he started releasing gospel music and he does Sunday services. And that kind of thing where I just wish that more of us were speaking into that situation and saying like, this is abusive, sort of the idolization of family in Christian circles. And it's like, oh, he's fighting for his family. No, Kim has agency and she has decided she does not wanna be in that relationship anymore. And you can pray away from her, but harassing her and her boyfriend, the sort of erratic behavior and harassing of her family, and, you know, Kim is in a privileged position. She's wealthy. She's well-known. And there are women in your community who are not. And you're spouting these toxic messages to stay in these relationships that are abusive, um, where husbands are, you know, either physically abusive or emotionally or verbally or spiritually abusive. And that's not OK. And I think we need to have a conversation about sort of the idolization of a of, of family and the ways in which it harms women who are in dangerous situations. So that's my Serious mess. My bless. Halftime show. Mary J. Blige. Kendrick Lamar. Perfection. Um, and then I also want to just shout out the sort of black television renaissance that we're having. If you're like my age, you grew up with like Moesha and Half and Half and Sister Sister, and it felt and Living Single, and it felt like all that kind of went away for a while. But Abbott Elementary. Obsessed. I love that These show. Guys, gotta watch Abbott Elementary. <laughs> it's I'm so like, good. It's so great. It's so, it's so funny. I love, um, my sister has gotten me into Grand Crew, which is on NBC, which is kind of like, for people who are like, oh, we want a male insecure. It's kind of that where it's like focused on male friendships. But it's great. It's really funny. Bel Air, like I could go on. Power. There's so many great. um, So shout out to black creators and television folks that are greenlining all of this great television. So that's my Those are my bless and my mess this week.
0: That that was awesome, and I uh, you should have seen the faces that I was making on the Kanye Kim thing because I tried to tell y'all about Kanye (laughs) years ago uh, when he got on TV. You know, during the Katrina fundraiser, but nope, that he he needs some to help. Like, (laughs) and so anyway. But, you know, we are some people, people are loyal and yet for all kinds of the interesting reasons, which, okay, fine, be loyal, but let's not idolize people and humans, you know, need help. So I'm just going to say that. I hope that was okay. I didn't break any rules for that. Nope. good. He does. I I, he does need help. He he does need people around
2: him that the pastor who was following him around and preaching at Sunday service.
0: Get your boy. Come Collect. on. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yes. And I wrote down the shows. I haven't been able to watch a lot of TV lately, but that sounds exciting. All right. Okay. So, my mess the New Jersey Mall, Bridgewater Township, that is a mess. And I, I do. And this is, you know, my response. First of all, I am so sorry that that happened to the young. Uh, Black teenager and, you know, and his family. I unfortunately am grateful that it is recorded. And I know, you know, like a parent sent it to me and, and I, you know, my response was, if you were to ask, if you were to ask the group of people or the the mall security, if they were racist, of course they would give an, you know, emphatic, no, I am not and again, this is why we need to, you know, we need to be educated um, because a part of understanding, you know, race and and race in our society is to understand how we have been so formed and shaped by it that we have these unconscious bias. We have these these parts, these thoughts and emotions that no, we did not give permission to be in our brain and in our heart but they are there and you know we need to be able to acknowledge it so that we don't do stuff like that um so that's not our reaction and i just looked at the whole crowd like the whole crowd uh no nobody was behaving uh the way they should except for the young man who was being handcuffed i mean i'm grateful that he obviously has a heart of, of of justice and fairness as he was standing up against the bully was then treated like the hero so So, go ahead for those who don't
2: know or (laughs) haven't seen the video i'll just describe it to you where they're a group of teenagers they're arguing and fighting or they're arguing with each other a young african-american man kind of stands up and then the a young white teenager they get in a physical fight the cops show up to break it up at this point the white teenager when they show up to break it up a white teenager he's on top of the black child so he's clearly the aggressor the you know black child is like defending his face the police run up pull the white kid off take him off to the side and then arrest the black teenager what i thought was interesting to your point and kind of the work that you do is that the 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 girl who's recording is like it's cuz he's black And then I read where the white teenager was like, I went up to them and I wanted them to handcuff me too. And they were like, no. And I, you know, he was apologetic. Like, of course, teenagers, boys, their brains are not fully developed. (laughs) But the fact that he had enough awareness and that his mom was like, yeah, we don't think this is right. That like my son was the aggressor (laughs) in this situation. And this black kid was traumatized um, and handcuffed. And yeah. So if you haven't seen the video, that's, yes. it, It very clear racial bias towards African-American children to see them as criminal, even when they're the victim. Yeah.
0: And, and, and it's such a, um, I don't know. It's just such a great example because it's like, you know, kids hanging out at the mall. That's something that teenagers do. Teenagers getting into a little argument or scuffle, like, again, not anything that is out of the ordinary. So that's why it's just kind of prime example of, okay, people, you know, this is just kind of ordinary everyday life. Um, and, yeah, it's like showing you some stuff. But and again, see, this is why people don't want to teach in schools, and this is why pe- they need to be taught to, <laughs> so this kind of stuff won't happen. Okay, so it's a a mess. Mess. <laughs> a mess. okay, on to the bless. So I have two blesses. Is that okay? Can <laughs> I have t- yes, two? That's totally fine. Okay. Um, first of all, have you all ever heard of a trap choir?
2: No, but this is a no, like something No, but tell me more. Here.
0: Oh my gosh. And I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I like, my husband is, is like, we're going to this trap choir concert because his barber is in the trap choir here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I don't even know what that is. And um, so I'm all like, okay, whatever. We're going to go and get there. And it is the most incredible, like show of joy, creativity, like, I, it was just amazing. So it's a combination of, like, guest trap music, uh black gospel music, uh church, hey. and okay. club. Um, I it,
1: This is it for was, me. This is for me.
0: I'm exactly. sounds like, amazing. Who, who who created? Your husband is he so really, cool. Girl, he really is. He really, really is. He was going to... And so I cannot wait till they do it again. It's because I'm like, I'm making people come. Like, you have to come. I was trying to tell my sister about it. And I'm like, here, let me just show you a video. Like, I can send y'all a video after this. And she, just from the video on my phone, was like... She was, she was, she she became an instant fan. She was like, I want to join the choir. I want to be a... I mean, the crap choir. I want to be a groupie. <laughs> I do kind of feel like I'm a groupie. Um, I... Yeah. And I'm like, y'all, this needs to be something that's at least every month that you're doing. It's so much... I mean... Just in the the whole room was just filled with. I, I say, if somebody came in, they're sick. They left healed because that's just how powerfully oh, wow. fun all the good energy and all the good stuff and the. I'm like, in one minute you're like dropping it like it's hot, you know, in a very fun way. And the next minute we're like praising with the tambourines and shouting and praising the Lord. I was so I was like. This is all the, the good things of the culture just all put together and you pay whatever, $15 and it was amazing. So, <laughs> yeah, I think they're going to be at it. the, where are they going to be next? Like I think the CIAA, the basket, big basketball tournament that, anyway,
1: they'll oh, be there yeah.
0: anyway. So I, yeah, I know we don't live near each other, but yeah, if you, if they ever come your way, please go. It's incredible. Okay. And then the second bless is um, I am just so grateful for all the support um in my community that I have been getting this week around this book launch and like I said I don't live in an I live in a predominantly white area a little bit rural a little bit and but people are like (laughs) excited and they're inviting friends to the uh, we're having like a big launch party and they're inviting you know and they're like can I share it with my kid's teacher can I share it with the school can I can I da 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 like Yes. And so I have, I went to do something yesterday and I saw there was a poster up, you know, the local bookstore did a story on it. Um, The local media wants to, to, you know, do interview. And I, so I just want to take the time to express the gratitude for the support of this um, project. I'm like, people are really ready to grow and they really want the tools to grow. So
1: bless, bless, bless.
2: I love it. That's
0: beautiful.
1: This is so good. <laughs> um okay, I'm going to start with I'll start with my bless because it's a good thing and because my mess is a little heavier. So we'll we'll end with the mess. Yeah. But my bless is just for Black creators. Like, I'm really inspired by Black creators and innovators right now, just doing so much great work, just like Catherine was talking about, from TV shows, art, music. There's just a lot of inspiration I'm seeing. And so it being Black History Month, I have continuously find myself so thrilled to see black people pushing (laughs) barriers, um, finding new avenues for their creativity, not giving up, getting there, writing their screenplays and their pilots and shows and like, you know, working in Broadway, whatever that looks like. It's just really great to see. And it just goes to show that like, we have a lot to offer as people and as a community. And there's so much that can happen when you just keep believing in your dream, you keep believing in... The work you feel, you know, God has called you to and you you get out there and you just do it, even when you might not know all the steps to how to do what you want to do. Right. And so um, it's so great to see so many people thriving right now. So that's what I'm going to say for my bless. Um, My mess that's a little bit heavier is really just like, you know, I want to talk about what's happening right now with our Asian-American uh, friends and the hate crimes that are going on. It is truly devastating to continuously see so much hatred going towards the Asian community. And I know that everybody's pretty fatigued from, you know, this pandemic and the, you know, it's continuing on and becoming even an epidemic. But we cannot overlook the tragedy that our Asian American friends are feeling okay they are going through so much and still people are saying really you know terrible racial slurs blaming them for the pandemic and really continuously killing them like not just you know little things like murdering them it's just like this constant stream of murders and this is completely terrible and I think that it's important for all of us to speak up about it. It's important for us not to just let this pass by and act like it's not much of a big deal because it really is a big deal because it's it's not something that has stopped. The hate crimes have only increased over the years. They have not decreased. And so um, I just think that you know, we really need to keep that in our mind and be conscientious of things. And, you know, I understand we all have our own struggles, our own things going on. But our collective solidarity matters and it matters for us to use our voices, especially when we're talking about wanting to treat one another with dignity and respect. And that goes for everyone. And we should want to push people towards you know, doing more, like having more protection, more legislation, more really like firm addressing of all these hate crimes that are happening right now. So anyways, that's my... That's my mess. I just, if you are, you know, an Asian American brother or sister listening to this podcast, we are holding space for you and grieving with you because I know so many um, of my friends have even expressed not even feeling safe walking out, going out of their houses or doing anything and, you know. No one wants to live in a world where they don't feel safe. We we understand that as black people. We get that. And so I think, if anything, we should be empathetic, compassionate, and be a part of speaking up, saying something, doing something when we can. And yeah. that is it.
2: That was so good. Yeah, to our Asian-American sisters who are feeling particularly vulnerable, we, you know, I'm praying for you. And I'm so sorry that this keeps happening and that you're being re-victimized in the sense that it seems like the broader community is is ignoring you and yeah be a friend offer a ride home buy someone's groceries if they don't feel safe going out figure out a way to be to show solidarity and i will say i feel like this is maybe like a family conversation i will say sometimes african americans feel like oh because there's like maybe some anti-blackness in certain pockets of the asian community it's not your struggle and you know whatever and i just think that that's especially for christians like we're not, we shouldn't be pitting each other against each other and holding people responsible for something that maybe they did not participate in. But I think a larger conversation of like, when we talk about racial reconciliation, that is that is a part of the work. It's not just sort of black and white. And so that was a heavier note, but you know, I I agree with Faith that I think it's important to, to talk about these issues, to have these family conversations, and to love across hues.
1: Because yes. race
2: is a social, <laughs> race is a social construct. Okay, guys, you thank you so much, Lucretia. This was a fabulous conversation. I learned so much. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. Please share the podcast with friends and family. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find it. And then check out our Patreon community for ways you continue to support our work. Buy Dr. Barry's book wherever books are sold. We will include in the show notes a link to all of her resources and where you can find her work. If you want to hire her for a workshop, please do that. Um, Support Black creators, intellectuals, and not just in Black History Month. So with that, we (laughs) we will see you guys next time.
1: Bye. Bye.